0: The structural changes unleashed by the Great Lockdown could transform the business landscape and create new winners and losers. COVID-19 is permanently changing the way businesses, consumers and governments operate and therefore impacting investors' portfolios. Companies with differentiated and disruptive business models become even more compelling in or following the current times of economic turmoil and social distancing. In today's podcast, Tom Jesse welcomes Raj Shant, Managing Director and Portfolio Specialist at Jenison Associates. They will discuss the secular trends that Raj expects to get a supercharged boost post-COVID-19, and how investors should position themselves to take advantage of growing secular themes.
1: Okay, Raj, uh, thanks for joining me. Welcome to this podcast. Um, can you tell me something about PGIM?
2: Uh, sure, thanks Tom. So PGIM uh, is the investment arm of the Prudential Financial, the uh, largest life and pensions company in the US. And as you say, PGIM opened up an office in Amsterdam last year. It's headed up uh, by my excellent colleague Eva van der Pol, who was previously working for a decade at Goldman Sachs before he joined us. Uh, so PGIM owns uh, several affiliates, including the one that I work with, Jenison Associates. Uh, we just do fundamental equity investing at Jenison Associates. But PGIM also has other boutiques, uh, such as a fixed income boutique, a real estate boutique and a quantitative investment boutique. So uh, the idea is that our clients get the benefits of really focused independent asset management companies whilst getting the huge size and scale of PGIM standing behind them. Right, and
1: PGIM is also based in Amsterdam. Why did you choose for this city?
2: Well, we took the view that Amsterdam is a great financial center in its own right, obviously with a great history, but also it's a great uh, launch pad for us to service clients not just throughout holland but also in belgium and in luxembourg uh, and we also felt it was very important to get an extremely experienced seasoned uh, uh, professional to head up that office uh, which is why we recruited evo van der Pol to, to head that office up
1: okay let's uh, move on to the first uh, subject a lot of things are happening in the world how do you think COVID 19 will reshape businesses and the economy
2: Well, it's an interesting question, Tom, because in some ways, it's not reshaping businesses as such. What it's doing, uh, it seems to us, is that it's accelerating many changes that were going on already. uh, But it's compressing the adoption rates, compressing the changing behaviours of consumers, businesses and governments. And so, you know, if you look at uh, something very long term like e-commerce... Now, it's been with us for uh, the best part of a couple of decades. Uh, it was gradually taking market share from physical retailers, uh, bricks and mortar retailers for years. Mm. What we're seeing now through the pandemic, through the lockdowns that forced people to stay at home, is that people are adopting it in much larger numbers. They're getting used to the convenience and the benefits that it brings. And we think it's just a structural behavioral change. Once people have learned the benefits of it, they're highly unlikely to go back wholesale to their old ways uh, of shopping. So, you know, that's just one example, but whether it's streaming of entertainment or online payments, uh, we think what it's doing is it's accelerating. ...trends that are already gradually uh, taking place anyway in the years leading up to this episode.
1: Yeah, and there's also one important question. Who are the winners of this uh, crisis? Are that the, uh, do you think, disruptive businesses...
2: Yes, to the extent that they are companies that were already reimagining uh, the ways that we live and work. So let's just take some of the same examples I just mentioned with e commerce. You know, it's not just about Amazon here in Europe or in the US, it's also about Alibaba in China, it's about Mercado Libre in Latin America. These companies were steadily d- disrupting the physical retail sectors. Offering consumers more choice, often cheaper prices, Mm. and better deliveries and more fulfillment. So more convenience and more choice and better value. Mm. That's a really hard combination to beat. So they were disruptors to begin with. And what's now happening is that we're seeing, for instance, especially in Latin America, rates of change in countries like Mexico and Argentina, the likes of which we've never seen before huge mass adoption of of their e-commerce platforms so yes they are disruptors but they were already growing very successfully coming into this uh, pandemic and the lockdowns and we think that their structural growth rate and the total addressable market for them has grown substantially during this period you are mentioning new
1: companies but let's take a closer look to the old companies What does the crisis
2: mean for these companies? Well, of course, um, you know, the the negative side of that is that, uh, let's take, for example, staying with that retail consumer discretionary space. It's very hard for a a physical retailer that doesn't have any online presence to keep up. Uh, Even if that retailer has moved to uh, selling more and more online, again, that physical presence that's had to be shut down. You know, there's all those problems with paying rates and rent, uh, energy costs, etc. for those premises. It's going to be very difficult for them to survive. I think the good ones still will survive, Mm -hmm. but they won't be as big or as profitable as people would have expected them to be a few years ago.
1: Yeah, and to understand the business model of the new companies, uh, the companies of tomorrow, it's important to take a closer look at the upcoming trends what are in your opinion the most important trends for the coming years
2: Uh, i think that the trend towards e-commerce continues uh, maybe faster than before Mm. Uh, i would say that the payments world you know nobody wants to handle cash we don't want to hand it over we don't want other people to give it to us uh, so digital payments continues to grow strongly in the long term, mm. even though it will suffer from the shutdown of some retail and travel. Uh, Netflix, in terms of streaming, we think linear TV is pretty much dead. It's going to become a very niche area. There is room for many players. So we're not concerned about new entrants coming into streaming. But arguably, some of the, one of the biggest growth areas in the future is going to be uh, enterprise solutions on the cloud. So my company, like so many others in the financial services sector, so many of the the listeners to to your podcast, will have gone online. We're working from home. We're processing things from home. We're receiving information and uh, generating content from home. And actually, that's really boosted the priority for spending on that remote working, on cloud solutions for companies. And we think that's going to go to the top of the budget priorities for companies after the lockdowns, after the COVID-19 pandemic issues. So software as a service, cloud solutions, cloud security, uh, unified communication. So the ways in which you and I can communicate to each other, uh, our clients can communicate with our firms, it's proliferating. So unified communications companies will simplify that. They reduce it to one single way for you to reach your clients, no matter how they want to interact with you. We think there's a lot of opportunities, as well as lots of risks uh, for for companies that haven't adapted so well.
1: But now I think let's talk about how to choose the right company, because there are the old companies, there are the new companies. Uh, What does it mean for investors Did you say goodbye to the old economy companies?
2: Yes.
1: (laughs) That's the short answer.
2: So, you know, let's just think about this. Uh, So I I often get investors just saying to me, well, the value space in the market looks really cheap. So it's probably worth just spending a moment or two thinking about that in more detail. What is the value space of the markets really consist of? Think about it. The biggest part is probably financials. Then there's maybe energy companies, uh, commodity companies and materials companies. And then some industrials uh, are in there as well. Mm -hmm. Let's just think about them more clearly. The financials, and particularly the banks around the world, were barely making returns that covered their cost of capital. Now, in pure economic terms, that is the market signal to say this sector should be shrinking as a share of the economy as a share of the market. But that was before the pandemic. That was before the lockdowns. Now, think about what's happening to balance sheet quality for companies as we come out of the lockdowns. Many of the assistance they're getting in many countries around the world is in the form of loans, not grants. So many of these companies are going to have much weaker balance sheets coming out than they had going into the lockdowns. Zero interest rates or even negative interest rates. That is bad for margins across the whole financial spectrum. So that's all to say that this is a sector that was not doing particularly well to begin with, really struggling to make economic returns. Uh, How is it going to generate sustained returns for investors after the lockdown's end? We just can't really see sustained outperformance for that sector. Maybe a week or two, maybe a month or two. really hard to see. And it's similar for commodity companies and industrials uh, that that are relatively undifferentiated. They were struggling to make returns above their own cost of capital before the lockdown. You don't care if you want a barrel of oil, (laughs) why you'd want it, I don't know. You don't care if I bring it to you or somebody else brings it to you. It's just a barrel of oil. I am an undifferentiated producer. I can't make much of a return on that. I can't charge you a premium on that. Mm. So across this space, we think prices are very low, but it's hard to think that value is particularly good. If they can't generate a return much above their own cost of capital, how are they going to generate attractive returns for anything like the medium term for their air investors? We don't think they can.
0: Mm.
2: So what we believe in is very focused portfolios really trying to uh, highlight and isolate those areas of structural growth. And we have zero presence in energy, in materials, in those undifferentiated industrials. And most of the time we find it very hard to find growth in uh, the financial space as well. Yeah. Structural growth.
1: Yeah. How important is active management in the, uh, you called it, focus portfolio?
2: Uh, we think it's essential. So really, you know, when you're starting with a universe of thousands of companies, as you would do with a global strategy, uh, and indeed, with an emerging markets or a US strategy, there's actually 1000s you can invest in. The truth is that the vast majority of those companies are very ordinary. And they're making something just above, or potentially just below their, their cost of capital. They can't actually innovate, they don't have any secular growth. So the starting point has to be to eliminate the vast majority of companies. Only then can you start looking for companies that are attractive with some kind of top line growth. But even within that, in a passive approach, you know, if you say a growth factor approach, what you're looking for is three years of sales growth or earnings growth. But if the oil price is going going up, or the copper price or the coffee price is going up, you could get three years of growth, and those companies would be included. But they're not innovators, they're not leaders, they're not disruptors, they don't have any differentiation. So we eliminate all of those as well, mm. and then what you're left with is companies that are worth looking at. Mm. And then what we do is still drill down on those companies and say, okay, they're showing growth, but why is that? How differentiated yeah. is their business business model?
1: Yeah, yeah. How do you find the uh, real in, uh, in uh, the, the real new companies, the real new economy companies?
2: Well, in many ways, they find ours. Okay. <laughs> so. <laughs> It's not as hard as it sounds, so whether the field is in healthcare or in uh, consumer discretionary or whether it's in uh, entertainment, what happens is that, you know, when companies are really innovating, we, the investors, are not the best people to decide who the winners are. There are many streaming companies out there. There are many mobile phone companies out there. You know, the best people to tell you are the consumers of that service or product. So we look very carefully at market share changes. And when a company with a differentiated, innovative offering uh, really starts winning market share, then we know we've got something. Mm -hmm. Then we start doing our work. And our work uh, is done by dedicated sector analysts, uh, real specialists in their fields. And what they're doing is they're looking at the growth opportunity and actually looking at just two simple things. They're saying, how big is this growth market. What is the potential size of the market? And therefore, secondly, what is the duration of the growth for this company? That's it. Yeah. Just the duration and magnitude of growth. And then they compare it back to what the market currently thinks, the valuation in the market currently. And now that sounds very simple, but it's actually a very complex task, company after company. But then only when we see there's a big difference between what we think the opportunity set is, and what the market's currently pricing in, then we invest. But actually getting to that subset of really exciting companies with something really different, uh, we wait for the inflection point for the market to tell us that this is one of the winners in this space, rather than judging or guessing beforehand.
1: That's the story about uh, the opportunities in the markets uh, you see. Uh, maybe we can also uh, look to the long-term opportunities. Uh, where do you currently see long-term opportunities?
2: I have to say, and it sounds a little bit strange in an environment where, you know, growth has obviously been hit very hard all around the world by lockdowns during the pandemic. Um, to say that there are so many interesting opportunities all over the world, and to make a change from some of the other things I'm talking about, you know, if you look at medical technology, you know, we see lots of really innovative things going on, and even after, uh, you know, the, the, obviously there will be lots of spending of resources and money on uh, coronavirus vaccines, on uh, antibody testing. But we also see lots of new innovation going on in terms of helping diabetics, uh, continuous blood sugar monitoring, um, non-intrusive surgeries. You know, treating cancer is costing the world so much as we have aging populations. Better, more advanced, cheaper treatments. So that's uh, also health. Certainly. Yes. And, and you know, this is what uh, politicians in the Western world wanting to be elected by ageing populations will want to spend on. This is what politicians in emerging market countries where the middle class it continues to grow rapidly, despite the setbacks during the lockdowns. Uh, you know, what do those middle classes want? They want two things first and foremost, more education, more healthcare. So we think there's great opportunities for innovative companies there. Uh, we do think that, you know, linear TV is dead. Uh, streaming is the way forward. So, you know, we don't think it's just lockdown related, although that certainly accelerated that development. We think the long term structural move away from cash uh, into digital payments is just accelerating. So, you know, this is not a new story. It goes back decades, but it's accelerating all the time. Mm-hmm. And there's still a long way to go before we get there. Mm-hmm. So there um,
1: yeah. software... So, sorry, I was going
2: to say... Um, so, the, you know, there's uh, the software as a service. I don't know about the companies that many of your uh, podcast listeners will be in, but my company is continuing to work fully functionally, um, myself with my colleagues in America, with my colleagues in Holland. Uh, we, you know, we're working seamlessly. And what we found is that what works best is all those applications that are based in the cloud and so you know there's a huge amount of development that can still go on in terms of moving key applications from host servers that are owned by the company to those that are on the cloud and that requires other companies to help you to do it that requires other companies to help you to protect you to do it so there's lots of opportunities going on in lots of different fields
1: yeah so uh, we, uh, I asked you the the question uh, at the start of this podcast, but uh, I will will ask it again because there are also um, a lot of opportunities for new co- uh, tech companies. So when you w- when we start a new tech company company today, it's not too late to enter the market, isn't it?
2: If you believe that there's only a limited sum of good new ideas. Then yes, we may be to uh, with each good idea that comes to the market and becomes successful. Then there's less ideas for us to discover. If, on the other hand, you're more optimistic about human nature and humankind, as I am, as we are, then you'd think that there is almost no limit to the ingenuity of human beings. Now, that actually is a great way to uh, look at the long-term future right so you know we didn't become more prosperous able to provide more food for more human beings around the planet more medicines with more life expectancy we didn't do that because there was more new things in the world we developed our knowledge and we understood better how to organize ourselves and organize the resources available to us Mm -hmm. Now, you know, we moved from being nomadic to being settled and farming, from agrarian societies to industrial societies. And from industrial society, we're moving to the information age. We're learning with information and digital technologies how to organize the existing resources of the world better, more efficiently, to do far more with far less. And surely if we're going to move to a more sustainable future, if we're going to have less pollution, if we're going to have less uh, uh, heavy industries pumping out uh, pollution into the soil, into the water, into the air, we need to adopt new ways of doing things. There is no end of new opportunities for companies to help other companies do that. So I look forward to the future. I think, you know, 10 years from now, there'll be far less of the heavy industries. There'll be far less pollution of the groundwaters in developing countries, far less uh, pumping pollution into the air, and far more, uh, you know, really clean technologies doing far more with far less. Mm. So that really requires us to keep coming up with new ideas. Yeah. To keep financing those new ideas, to keep scaling those new ideas. And you know, that's the kind of companies that we try and look for in our growth strategies. Mm.
1: Very interesting. Okay, Raj, uh, I would uh, thank you for sharing such a nice and interesting insights. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to a podcast about the winners and losers in a post-pandemic economy. This podcast was offered to you by PGIM, the global asset management business of Prudential Financial Inc. For more podcasts, please visit the website of Fons News, fondsnews.nl forward slash podcast.
3: For professional investors only. All investments involve risk, including the possible loss of capital. The views expressed by PGIM are not intended to constitute investment advice. Were accurate at the time of recording and are subject to change. References to specific securities and their issuers are for illustrative purposes only and are not intended and should not be interpreted as recommendations to purchase or sell such securities. Issued by PGIM Limited PGIM Limited is authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority of the United Kingdom with firm reference number 193418. PGIM Limited is authorized to provide services or operate with a passport in various jurisdictions in the EEA. Prudential Financial Incorporated of the United States is not affiliated in any manner with Prudential PLC Incorporated in the United Kingdom or Prudential Assurance Company, a subsidiary of M&G PLC Incorporated in the United Kingdom.